Turn in your Bibles to Romans 11, please. We've been working our way through the book of Romans, and we've heard that the answer to our problems with sin, uh, our rebellion against God is God's grace. That His grace is able to have victory over all of our rebellion, able to subdue us in our sin, able to relieve us of our guilt, and to make us accepted by God. And so as we hear that, we say, that sounds very good. But to uh, someone who's ready for an objection, someone who's listening to this might say, well, if it's God's grace that is the answer to our sin, and God was gracious to Israel and the Jews, why were so many of the Jews rejecting Jesus? Why were so many falling from the way, as it seems? And uh, in chapters 9, 10, and 11 we get God's answer. In chapter 9, He tells us that the reason is in God's sovereign plan, He had chosen to have mercy on whom He had mercy and would harden those He hardens. And all that God had predestined for mercy, He gave them mercy. In chapter 10, we see that the exact flip side of that coin was that there wasn't anyone in Israel that was rejecting God who was begging for mercy. They were all doing exactly what they wanted to do, which was to turn against God, not to call on Him, to seek a righteousness that came from personal performance and not that one that would be given as a gift, to live in their personal pride rather than the humility of a needy person. In chapter 11, we're seeing how that plan is carried out not just locally but across the world how God used the Jewish people to bring the gospel to the world and how he's using the world to bring the gospel to the Jewish people that's what we're going to see in this passage here so uh, we're going to begin reading in verse 11 before we read let's pray together for the scriptures for the reading and God's blessing on it our father in heaven when we come to your word we come to uh, that which is your very voice It is no different than hearing you speak from heaven to split the clouds and open your mouth. These are your words. And we want to receive them that way. So help us trust in your word and to receive it and to think about it, to meditate upon it, that these words might change the way we think and live and do our lives. We pray that you would fill our hearts with your word. Uh, The scriptures tell us that if we could hide your word in our heart, we might not sin against you. So would you hide your word in our hearts that we could trust in you and follow you? Would you cause your word today to settle the doubts that are in your people? Those who've come trusting but also saying, help my unbelief, would you help them? Would you use your word today to take those who doubt your kindness and your goodness and help them see it clearly? Would you take those who are presumptuous and think that everything's okay, I belong to a church and would you cause them to see that only genuine faith is a right response to you? I pray that you would do your work in us, that you would cause us to take delight in Christ because of what we read, and that you would be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 11, verse 11. This is God's Word. So I ask, did they, the Jewish people, stumble in order that they, they might fall? By no means, rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. 
Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I'm speaking to you Gentiles inasmuch then as I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry in order that somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and to save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as, as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. If the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who supports the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but stand in awe. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will He spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you provided you continue in His kindness. Otherwise you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? This is God's Word. It is completely true. And it is utterly trustworthy. R.C. Sproul, a pastor, theologian, author, lives in, Cal- or in Florida now, uh, tells an, of an account where he had a conversation with a friend who was Jewish. And he uh, said uh, that the, they were talking about how Christians want to evangelize Jewish people and the, his friend was indignant about it. Uh, really quite angry. thought the whole idea of trying to per- persuade another religious person to your religion was immoral. And so R.C. Sproul decided to challenge him just a little bit on that. He, said, he started to ask him, do you believe that Judaism is true and Christianity is false? He said, yes. Do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah? He said, no. He said, you believe that my religion is false, that we are the ones stumbling in darkness, that we are guilty of idolatry because we worship a man and deny the monotheistic foundation of their Jewish faith. Yet you have antipathy toward persuasion. You don't evangelize Christians. If you believe that Judaism is the truth of God, why don't you crawl over glass to bring us the true religion of Abraham? If you really believe that the people who don't believe as you do are liable to the judgment of God, how could you not want to persuade them? Here was his answer. It's not for you. It's just for us. It's not for you. It's just for us. Now, that actually isn't one person's take. This is uh, seems from a, a wide range of... Maybe the response, response is very slightly, but that's basically the same attitude. The Jewish religion is not for you. It's just for those who are descended biologically from Abraham. That was the argument. And if you look through the history of the Jewish people, that seems to be the case. Uh, Gentiles were seen, were seen as unclean in the Old Testament. When you get to the New Testament, it seems like that same thing was going on, at least at first. 
when the church began to grow in Jerusalem, Jesus had told his disciples, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. He, said, he gave them a command, go and make disciples of all the nations. They knew that was his vision for the world, but they were content to sit in Jerusalem with the Jewish church until there was persecution, which forced them to scatter out of Jerusalem. You can read about it in Acts chapter 6 and 7. And as they were scattered, they began to go to, well, other Jewish people outside of Jerusalem. It really wasn't until Paul comes along that he starts going to the Gentiles. In this passage, he calls himself an apostle to the Gentiles. But even Paul, when he would go to a new town, the first place he would go was the synagogue. He would go to the synagogue and reason with the Jews, and only after the Jews in that town had rejected his message would he then go to the marketplaces and begin to reason about the gospel of the Lord Jesus with the Gentiles. And so Paul is seeing this pattern. He says, did they fall or did they stumble in order to fall, the Jewish people? He says, no, rather their trespass, their rebellion, their rejection of Jesus, because of that, salvation has come to the Gentiles. This is to say that what God intended was for you to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus, to hear of forgiveness of sins, to hear of His life and death and resurrection on your behalf because the Jews rejected it. That was His plan. That was what He intended to happen. It was so that you would get the gospel, so that you would experience the kindness of God and He used the, the Jewish rejection of Jesus to do that. But it wasn't just because he was ready to leave the Jews. He wanted you to experience the kindness of God so that the Jewish people who had rejected him would become jealous, it says. Look at verse um, 11. Rather through the trespass, their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now if their trespass means riches for the world and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, and before I, I get the what happens next, just notice what he's saying. Their failure, their rejection brought you the kindness of God. You who are Gentiles. But God intends for your experience of the gospel to promote jealousy among Jews so that they would see it. What, what would that mean? How would that look? Well, I would think that the Jews would begin to recognize some of the promises that were given to them in the Old Testament and see it being fulfilled in the church. For instance, a, a, a Jewish person would know that God had said, I promise to be your shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. You know the Psalm 23. And so when the Jewish person sees the church experiencing the shepherding of God, to see how it's the church that's experiencing those promises from Psalm 23, how it's carried out among the individuals in the church, how the church leadership cares for the spiritual welfare of all of the church, how the physical needs of the church are being met by the church. If you read in Acts 6, you see that there, was, there were widows and they were simply hungry and so the church began to care for them and feed them. How in Acts 2, there were physical needs and financial needs in the church so people sold their property to make sure no one was in want. And when that kind of 
activity happens in the church, what the Jews would, might be able to see is that looks like the shepherding that God promised me. But it's not happening here. It's happening over there. And so they become jealous. Let me give a couple more. A Jew would remember the promises given to Abraham. That Abraham was told that he would be a blessing to every family in the earth. Well, what, what they had seen up through the Old Testament was that the, the families that were blessed were Jewish families. But now, when you look at the church, I want you to see that the church is beginning to spread through all the world so that every family on earth is being blessed. Joe Novenson, a pastor in Chattanooga, tells of the time he went on a, a short mission trip to India. And there in India, his Christian guide took him to one of the refugee villages. It was a place of perhaps 100,000 people who were living in nothing more than lean-tos and tents. It was one of those things that you would only dream about in an apocalyptic movie as he looked out over this crowd. And he saw that there were a few who were coming to help, but not nearly enough. And he said, who are those who are helping? And his guide said, those are the Christians. The Christians are coming to help. Well, most of India is Hindu. Where are the Hindus? And he laughed. The Hindus believe in karma. And they think that everyone who is here is here because of something they've done in the past. And to interrupt it would be uh, evil. And so they leave them this way. Well, there's a significant Muslim population. Where are they? The Muslims consider them infidels and unworthy of any assistance. But the Christians, the Christians come and say... We've been blessed by God so that we can be a blessing to the world. And it doesn't matter where you come from. We're a blessing to every family on the earth. And a Jewish person who's listening to these testimonies ought to say, I remember that promise. I remember that promise that God gave Abraham and I'm seeing it fulfilled in the church. And they're to be jealous. Why are they getting my promises? One more. Uh, again, with Abraham, he was told he would be the father of many nations. And surely, biologically, you know that his uh, son Isaac became the father of the Jewish people. And you know that uh, his other son Ishmael became the father to the Arabs. And so, it's certainly reasonable to see that he's become, biologically, the father of several nations. But if you look at the church, the church describes Abraham as as our father in the faith. And the church is going to every tongue and tribe and nation. And, and while there are some languages that have yet to receive the message of the gospel and the scriptures, it's only a matter of time. The church is determined to do it. And the scriptures tell us at the end of time, there will be a, 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 a gathering of people from every tongue and tribe and nation. It's the church. And the Jewish people ought to say, that was the promise that was given to me. That was Abraham's promise. That's our promise. Why are they getting it? God intended you to experience that kindness so that they would see it and go, hey, that's ours. And the result would be that they would come and respond in faith as well. In verse 12 it says that if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? And then he says it again in verse 13. I'm speaking to you Gentiles inasmuch then as I'm an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order that somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus have some of, uh, save some of them. 
For if their rejection means reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? Do you hear, what, here, here's what God is saying through Paul. He's saying, Jews rejected Christ so that you would hear it. You received the kindness of God so as to make them jealous. Now I want you to ponder that just for a minute. What are the limits of God's kindness? How much kindness is He going to give you? i got to, sort of like we're on a, a budget. He's got so much kindness He can deal out. I'll give it to you as you need it. But that wouldn't be the kind that would make somebody jealous. God intends for His kindness to be so overflowing, so overwhelming, that people would sit and say, I have to have that. God isn't limited in His kindness He wants to show you. His generosity, His reconciliation. He is taking those who were His enemies, you and me, and making us reconciled friends. And in doing all that, He's painting a picture for these Jews so that they would see it and go, yes, that's what I have wanted. That's the fulfillment of my promises. That kind of kindness is what I expected for us as a people. And he says the result of their returning, if, if, if a picture of God's amazing kindness is His Son dying for Gentiles who are apart from Him and far off and without hope, if His kindness extends to folks like you and me, and we get to see it in part as He's given us this grace, he says, when the Jews come back, the kindness will be on display in even greater magnitude. It will be life from the dead. Now, I read a lot of commentaries on that passage, and no one seemed to know what that meant. We're not really sure, but life from the dead sounds pretty good. Whatever it is, it's good, and it's better than we can imagine. So a couple of authors went back to a scene in Ezekiel. I think about 37. And there Ezekiel is looking over a valley of dry bones. And God says to Ezekiel, Son of man, can these bones live? Now, I would have said no. Ezekiel smarter than I am. He said, you alone know, O Lord. Ezekiel was told by God, prophesy to these bones. And when he began to speak, it says the bones began to assemble. And then flesh reappeared on them. And then, behold, in front of him was a massive army of resurrected people. What I want you to see is that God intends for the gospel going to you, for your experience of kindness to lead to the whole world seeing it, to lead to the Jews being jealous, and the result would be the Jews returning to the faith and a massive resurrected army of God standing in the world in a way that is stunning. In fact, that's what he says. Stand in awe as you think about this. He says, it's, you have been brought into the kindness of God. You've been made holy and acceptable to God because of your connection to these Jews. Look with me with this. Verse 17. If some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root supports you. I want you to think about what he's saying here. In Israel, one of the staples was an olive tree and olive oil. 
they had lots of olive trees, and it became sort of a symbol for the country. And they would care for these olive trees real well. They were fertilized and tended, and, and so they produced lots of fruit. But occasionally you would find these wild-grown olive trees. But the wild-grown olive trees weren't well tended, and they didn't have all the, uh, the proper care, so they didn't bear any fruit. In fact, they were uh, closer to a tumbleweed than they were a good plant. It was mostly a weed. And here's what he says. You ought to think of your salvation as though God came and cut you as one of the branches from the wild olive tree that bore no fruits and brought you in and carefully, as a gardener would, grafted you into a healthy olive tree. And therefore you began to receive the nourishing spiritual riches of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, of Moses and of David that those are the people who support you. That that's the way you get your nourishment is from this God who made a covenant with, with Abraham and said, I'll make you a blessing to all people. You've received the blessing because of the promise made to Abraham. He said to David, I'm going to give your son a kingdom that will rule over all the world for all time and you are blessed to be brought into that kingdom. You're drawing from the promises that were given to these ancient and holy people. And you ought to see it as a, a mighty and great privilege. This was the problem. Israel saw their privilege, but it made them proud and presumptuous. And so he says, you don't do that, verse 18. Don't be arrogant toward the branches. This single command has to be the end of any kind of anti-Semitic thought among any Christian. How can we look at the Jews and say, you know, well, you rejected Jesus, that makes us better. Look what he says. Don't be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. So you'll say, branches are broken off that I might be grafted in. That's true, but they were broken off because of their unbelief. You stand fast through faith. So do not become proud but stand in awe. It's not that you were so smart. It wasn't that you were so much more moral or so much better than these Jews who rejected. It was because God gave you faith so that you could be grafted in. We can't be proud. The picture is that the only way that you or I can have these nourishing spiritual riches of the promises that were given to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and to their descendants is that we believe in Christ who made them available to us. That we believe in Him and trust in Him and will not let go of that faith. You see, the kindness of God is offered to everyone who will believe. But the severity of God, the one that cut those branches off to make room for you, says for anyone who rejects God, that same severity is still here that same willingness to judge and to cut off if we refuse to believe. Let me put this in very simple terms that are practical, I think, for us. We cannot think, I've been a member of a church for a long time, therefore I must be okay. That is presumptuous. It's what Israel did. They said, I'm connected to Abraham, therefore I must be okay. And then in unbelief, they were cut off. We cannot say, I'm really active and people seem to like me. 
and they tell me I'm doing good stuff, those may be good things, but it can't be enough. People, I'm sure, in Israel said, and we think this guy's real active, real committed, when he was unbelieving, because he was doing it for himself. You must learn to distrust all those external things and ask this one question. Do I believe that Jesus will be kind to me because of the cross and the resurrection? Do I believe that God is kind to me because He is kind, not because I have earned it? He warns you, don't let pride seep in. Don't let arrogance seep in. The moment we begin to think it's because of something I do, or because I'm a decent person, or because I'm valuable to His purposes in the world, the moment that self-pride creeps in is the moment we begin to distance ourselves from God. The moment we begin to turn it away from faith into performance. Rather, we want to keep running back to this one idea. The reason God is kind to me is because He is kind to needy, broken people. He does it because of Jesus. Because He made promises. Because He is gracious. Let me invite you, command you really, Believe in the kindness of God. Believe in the kindness of God, not because we have earned it, but because He gives it so generously. And believe that you've been grafted back into that olive tree. You have real spiritual heritage and nourishing resources from God. It's flowing into your soul, not because you're good, but because God is, and because He is kind. Let's pray together. Father in heaven. It's huge. It's impossible for me to just think that I'm only going to be okay by your kindness. I want to think that, but I find this sort of self-pride creeping in all the time. And so I pray you would forgive me for that. And I pray that you would help me see that it is only your kindness that is enough to rescue me from my sins. And and I pray that you would help us lean on that kindness today, to trust in it completely, to deny any sense to ourselves that we have contributed to this, but that you have given us faith, that you have grafted us in, that you have made us one body with Daniel and with uh, all of the heroes we read about in the Old Testament. They were brought up in the olive tree and you gave them grace and kindness and now you've shared that kindness with us and Father we pray not just for ourselves but we pray for uh, those languages and tribes that do not yet have the gospel and we pray that you would send it so they might see your kindness and cause your Jewish people to begin to abandon their sense of self-righteousness to see that in Christ the fulfillment of all that they had hoped for has been already given that we would see many come to faith, a whole army of those raised from the dead to be your people. And that for us, we would experience your kindness in life from the dead. We pray that you would give us these things in Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Let's respond to God's word with a hymn. Hymn number 540.